field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Hello and welcome to the 69th episode of White Sox Business. The nicest episode yet of the nicest White Sox podcast out nice. there. Nice. Nice. Today's show is nice. And it features a nice guest as we welcome White Sox pitcher Aaron Bummer to the show. We talked to Bummer about how he's handling his time away from baseball, a possible return in the near future, life as a big league reliever in general, and a whole bunch more. Today's show also marks the return of America's favorite game show, Tenty Questions. Can James keep his perfect record or will he fail and prove his family and friends to be right about him all along? I know I can't wait to find out. But before we get to all that, James, I have to know... What your thoughts your thoughts are on the latest news in baseball, specifically the negotiations ongoing between the owners and the players? I mean, I, I don't think either side is willing to commit suicide by not coming to an agreement at some point. But if you had to put your money on it, which side do you think relents first? Well, uh, giving my thirds as is what you asked me for. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, give me your thirds. Both given recent history negotiations between the two sides uh, and the fact that just in general, you would think that the owners have a lot more ability to kind of hold out for what they want or sustain even the absence of a season entirely than players who are really in a very finite window for earning their basically their life savings. I would think that the owners probably get what they're what they're going after and the, the revenue sharing um and the player, it's probably going to result in the players kind of relenting and maybe just trying to get the best terms under that agreement that they possibly can. Because if the if it's really the owners taking out the position that they're not, it's not even worth for them to put on games without fans, without drastically cutting payroll, I think they probably have a lot more ability to hold out um, than the players have to just skip an entire year uh, without anyone getting paid uh, beyond like what the first couple weeks salary that they agreed to earlier on. Just and just the fact that I feel like if you track the last few agreements that um then the negotiations the owners and the players associations had, um you know, even if you grant that the players don't really care about incoming draftees or international signings as much as they should, um it, it seems like the owners have been coming out uh the winners. So uh I, I think I most people would be rooting on the, the against the owners uh in most instances, but it, it seems like they're the uh-huh. favorites here. I would I would actually say most people are probably going to root against the players based on previous previous history of how these things normally go. But, uh, you know, we're talking, obviously, I think the money is... I was hoping against hope a bit, Tom. Yeah. The, the money is what we were just talking about is what's being, you know, reported as a sticking point. But we asked Darren Bummer about it in our interview, and he brought up some aspects, you know, besides the money that are pretty important to the players that maybe aren't getting covered as much. So... Without further ado, let's jump into our interview with White Sox reliever Aaron Bummer. We now welcome to White Sox business, White Sox pitcher Aaron Bummer. Aaron, thank you for joining us on the show. What's up, fellas? How you guys doing? Uh, you know, we're we're good. We're hanging in. How are you doing? How are you handling life away from baseball when you should be in the midst of a season right now? <laughs> I think as good as anybody else could be. I don't know. You know, the family's safe and um so that's at this point that's all that we can really ask for so as long as that's everyone's safe and healthy um you know i'm doing okay i'm doing good that's good that's good i know i don't you know i didn't really want to start the interview off with a hard-hitting question but i'm going to 
Um, would would you describe yourself as an avid Twitter user? <laughs> no, not at all. Okay, because that's that's what's interesting. I, I went through your Twitter feed. You've tweeted roughly eight times in 2020. Yet back on April 16th, White Sox beat reporter James Fegan tweeted a photo of himself at 19 years old, wearing a baggy white T-shirt, black shorts, a big white hat, with a drink in his hand, giving the finger. <laughs> and you liked that tweet. <laughs> Now, how how, uh, how how did you happen to be on Twitter to see that at that moment? Was that just... Uh, sometimes you get caught. Sometimes it's about 2 o'clock in the morning. You get caught going down a rabbit hole and you don't know where you end up. <laughs> see, and that's I'm the sure thing. Like, I, yeah, that's how I wound up making the tweet. But how did you wind up liking it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just find yourself going down a rabbit hole that you don't know how the heck you got there. And then you're like, <laughs> you, something gives you a little chuckle. No, but... <laughs> I don't necessarily remember it, but... I'm sure that I'm sure at one point I probably gave a little laugh. It was like, Haha, that's fun. That's worth a like. I mean, does that, does, does the James in that photo remind you of the James, you know, today? <laughs> I think it's a spitting image. <laughs> that's what that's I'm who he really wants. That's who he actually wants to be. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my, my spirit animal deep inside. Yes. That is, you know, when you got your ballpark attire on you you take off your collared shirt and you go back to the baggy tee and the sideways hat. And that's, that's you walking around Bridgeport. James strolling through the clubhouse with a Roman Coke in one hand and a middle finger in the other. Like, hey, can I get a one-on-one with you for five minutes? I got to ask you some stuff. You'd probably get some better answers if that was true, though. <laughs> hmm. That's, that's something to remember. That's something to file away. <laughs> I, had, I had another thing I was curious about. Um, like, I think the day before your extension got announced, I was like, I walked up to you to like, talk to you about a piece I was doing for like the bullpen at large and yep. you were kind of like a little jumpy when I like approached you and now thinking back of it I was wondering like he probably thought I was about to ask him about his contract extension somehow some way it got it was I'll never forget kind of I don't know how or why or anything but I remember like a couple of days beforehand I searched on Twitter it and was just curious like and all of a sudden or no, my agent searched it on Twitter and he goes, the deal's out there. And I was like, how the heck is the deal out there? And I was like, I, I was like, I haven't told, I've told my agent and I've told my wife and that's about it. And then all of a sudden I was like naturally somewhat paranoid. So I was like, I don't know how this stuff goes on about. If too many people find out, is this going to go away? Like what's going to happen? And all of a sudden I was trying to avoid media. Cause I was like, all right, if he found that somebody else found that and that's going to be the first question asked. So yeah, I probably was trying to avoid you. <laughs> well, like I just gonna be honest. Yeah, I mean it makes sense, but like I just I kind of never thought to like ask you straight up because I didn't. Because <laughs> usually you think to like <laughs> you you think of that team being like between teams and agents. And I was just like, well, you know, I I can't confirm it, but you know, I got to talk to Aaron about this bullpen piece. I might as well talk to him. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, I got something else to do. I mean, I, I think avoiding James is just a natural reaction for anybody, really. It's something that we all want to do. <laughs> but, uh, going, but if I had the white tee on and I had a drink in my hand, <laughs> I'd be like, hey, Aaron, I hear there's like some contract <laughs> extension talks. Yeah, you would have gotten all the details of that. Yeah, and then he would have asked you for 20 bucks anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but um, going back to what we start, talked about a bit at the beginning, you know, what are you up to right now not being able to, you know, be at the facility or any of that kind of stuff how are you trying to stay somewhat in shape and stay ready for the season should the season start up again soon 
Um, you know, thankfully the day that uh, we got home, uh, Nebraska never actually went into full lockdown, so some stores were still open. So the day we got home, we went over to Dick's Sporting Goods, went out and bought a TRX and adjustable kettlebell and a couple things um, just to kind of have a little bit of a home gym going. And then maybe about two weeks ago, the, the facility that I worked out at um, all offseason uh, opened back up in kind of a limited capacity. So for the past two weeks, I've been able to go to the gym a couple times a week and then still be able to do some things in uh, my garage. And then thankfully, the weather also broke a little bit too in the past two weeks. So I've been able to get outside and throw and, you know, kind of at this point, it's very similar to a typical off season of kind of, you know, getting the workouts in that you need to and going home, but you know, that's about it. So, um, and thankfully, thankfully we have a place that we can go outside and throw and, you know, get all the things done that I need to get done to where whenever that season does start, um, I think that we'll be ready. So, yeah, one of the benefits of being in Nebraska is there's a lot of flat ground to throw on. <laughs> yeah, but you got to go through the cornfields first. So those got to you got to be. It's got to be the right season, or else that they're going to be growing too high. It's, you know, you got to go get them right after harvest. So that's the only time that it's flat. But so, what, where how would you compare like where you are readiness wise compared to if spring training was just starting right now? Uh, you know, a normal spring training, or if you had, you know, made three appearances out of the bullpen this past week and were basically in the middle of the season, like where, where is your arm? And, and uh, I don't know if stamina is the right word to, to say for a, 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 a short reliever, but where are you at? I would say that the, I would say that arm health wise and strength wise, I'm where I need to be. I would say that the volume wise of back to back and, um, throwing three out of four days. I think that would kind of be um, – that was something that you'd still have to build to. But I think that I'd be in a very similar spot to where I left spring training to where, um, you know, I think when did spring training end? There's two weeks left, you know, yeah. and that was right before we were about to start doing back-to-backs and kind of um, multiple innings and things like that. So as of right now, I feel like I can jump right back into, you know, um, kind of that – beginning of March, you know, the second, maybe the second week of March to where that really is that kind of three weeks left um, before the season starts to kind of go out there and get your arm and body used to um, the sheer volume of throwing. So I think that would only be, so I think that's the only thing that's really uh, that relievers would need to worry about. If have you been in contact with anybody about, you know, the current proposals that are on the table? And if so, I mean, what's your general feeling so far about when or if you guys will be able to get back to whether, you know, spring training 2.0 and starting the season or the proposals that are out there? You know, you guys made a comment earlier. I'm not very active on Twitter or anything. So, you know, most and uh, I don't know if actually anything's been officially proposed um, so I don't necessarily have much information on it. I just know that, you know, there's a lot of guys and <clears throat> there's a lot more things going on than just the money side of it. And, you know, I think the safety part of it is priority one. And I think that if you can hammer out the safety side of it, you know, I think that's, I think that's goal number one. And you kind of move from there because, um, I throw with Jake Diekman in the off season or I'm throwing with Jake Diekman now and he's got UC ulcerative colitis. 
And, you know, it's something to where who knows what he would be willing to do, um, you know, with a compromised immune system. So there's just a whole bunch of questions out there that I personally don't have any answers to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hope that the people in charge are a whole heck of a lot smarter than me and figure out all those answers. Do you feel like that's probably like the baseline thing to really work out even beyond maybe the, the money aspect that people focus on publicly that you guys really need to understand how this is going to work logistically and, and health wise? Yeah. I think it's more juicy to talk about the money on Twitter. Nobody, yeah. you know, it's, you know, that's more, there's more fire behind that. Um, so it's more people are going to talk about that. But at the end of the day, I think that if it's not safe, not only for, you know, for, the players, for the players' families, for the coaches, the coaches' families, you know, you start adding up all the people that it needs to be um, safe to go back to work for. Um, that I think those might be the bigger, that the that that probably is the, you know, the largest issue is that safety comes first. Um, but, I, you know, I, person, I personally have no idea. I, I'm not on the front lines. I don't have this, I don't have this inside track to all this information that, um, these other people may seem to have. So I'm just kind of waiting and seeing and hoping that the guys that are in charge, Tony and, you know, the player reps, you know, they, they do what's best for us. Well, I mean, given that the, they've somehow worked out the safety for the guys who are currently doing construction in the background of my recording, uh, (laughs) I'm optimistic that baseball can can come back, but do you have that type of optimism that there, there will be a ball this summer at some point as well? You know, I go back and forth, but you know, every day that I every day that I stay off of every day that I stay off of Twitter and I stay out of the news, I'm absolutely optimistic. And then, you know, you turn on the news and you hear about California shutting down for another three months, and you know, there's so many questions that I feel like it's just going to take. Uh, I'm very I'm very optimistic and very hopeful. Do I think that it's going to? Do I think that it's 100% a given? Not necessarily, but. I'm very, very optimistic and very, very hopeful because, you know, I think that, you know, I mean, personally, I want to go back to work. (laughs) I think we all, I think we all at this point want to go back to work. So, you know, there's that cautious optimism that, you know, something gets worked out and through the safety that, you know, we're playing, we're playing ball again this year. I, uh, I heard you on like another podcast with, with something as, as someone who has uh, totally failed to resume their, their workout uh, regime since, since this all started, I related to, but you talked about how not having the structure of kind of baseball and getting into the park every day and getting your workout in was something you had to reestablish because kind of waiting yeah. for the perfect moment when you feel just right during the course of the day, uh, it never yeah. really comes. So how did you kind of make that switch uh, since you've been home? Well, it's just the thought of, you know, as baseball players ever since probably – you know, ever since I at least got into professional ball, you've had a schedule of, you know, you go into the offseason, you say, okay, I've got 94 days until spring training. You can start kind of backtracking. Okay, I can take off a month. I'm going to take off a month and then I'm going to have, you know, 70 days to, you know, 70 days before spring training to where I need to go. And then on January 8th, I need to throw my first bullpen in to get ready to leave on February 10th. So you kind of have this built-in schedule of life of saying, okay, you know where you need to be and you kind of figure out your routine on how to get there. Well, in a situation where you don't have a timeline, you know, it's kind of the first time baseball players have never had a timeline. And it's not like you can go out there and, you know, and at least the beginning of it, 
you couldn't go to the gym. You couldn't go and just kind of say, all right, I'm going to go work out at nine o'clock at my facility. And then I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go do this. and I'm going to go be home. So, you know, it was a lot of mental motivation. I realized it's like maybe home gyms aren't the best thing for me because you know, it's pretty, it's pretty tough sometimes to go out there into that garage and just get it going. So, um, yeah, right now it's a lot being able to go to the facility and work out and then kind of hearing, um, potential spring training dates and, you know, potential starts dates at least gives you a little bit of, you know, a little bit of structure of where I'm, I'm trying to build a structure towards, you know, the second week of the first or second week of June of trying to be as ready as possible. So it's kind of just that switching now saying, all right, this is, this is now going to be my month of February to where I need to do the things that I need to do in order to be ready for games in March. And that's kind of the thought process that I'm going with moving forward. I think uh, both before and after you signed your deal, we talked a lot about kind of the volatility of, of being a reliever and, you know, careers yeah. being finite. Can you, yeah. can you conceive of how you'd feel about this current situation if you were in the spot you were last year where you didn't have the extension and you were kind of fighting for your spot in the major league team versus how you feel now kind of, I don't know, knowing what your future is a little bit more. I mean, I think it's terrible. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's a, it's huge. in the fact that I know we've talked about in the past of saying, you know, you can throw, you can throw the baseball great for three months and all of a sudden you have a bad week and that ruins your three months. Well, in a normal season, you've got two more months to kind of fix that. Or you have more of a, um, what would it be called? A, uh, I don't know the right words, but you know, this is, you better come out hot, you know, cause a couple of outings can ruin an entire season, which then affects, you know, if you have a bad first half call it of a season, you know, you have the second half to kind of make it up. Well, as of right now, we're pretty much only going to have one half. And so to think that, you know, if you get off to a rocky start and you're not ready to go whenever that season does start, you know, that might affect arbitration numbers that might affect options of getting guys up and down and so yeah I think that it's I think that relievers in this year are going to be even more volatile um, in that aspect that you know there's not a way if you give up a four spot I mean there's not two more months to make it up you know it's kind of one of those things where you got to go out there and you got to be on your game every day to um, to kind of make the most of your the shortened season not to go along with the volatility of being a reliever Throughout your career, you've maintained good splits against both lefties and righties, which, you know, I think in the more in the modern game now is going to make you even more valuable. But now that we enter an era with the three batter minimum, what are your thoughts on the rule and how do you think that's going to impact bullpens overall going forward? Um, me personally, I love it because I like to pitch and therefore I at least get a pitch to three batters every time I go out there. <laughs> so that's a that's a benefit for me. Um and, you know, I also think that it's going to be – I think it's going to be a benefit for relievers long-term um, because, I mean, you even look at guys with the worst kind of right-handed – say it's a lefty reliever with bad right-handed splits. I mean, they still get out three, one out of three times, you know, mm -hmm. or, the, or they only get a hit one out of three times. So you get out there and you get to go and face three batters, you know, you're going to at least gonna be able to um, – hopefully you're either going to get into a whole lot of trouble or you're going to be able to get out of your own trouble. Um, a little bit more than, say, going in there and facing one batter, giving up a hit to the lefty or whatever, and then coming out and, you know, that runs on base with 
<clears throat> that runner on base is not necessarily yours. Um, so I, when I first kind of thought about it, you know, I'm not, I'm not a fan of changing the game in any way possible. I thought that the game was the way it should be because I think that you're going to see guys – Actually, no, I take all that back. I think it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I realized that, and I sat there and thought about it because I was thinking about this season. Okay, so all of a sudden you go to, a, say, quote, uh, say a 30-man active roster or mm-hmm. whatever their roster, expanded rosters. So instead of being in a position to where, you know, you bring in a lefty and it's, it's call it left, right, left, you know, and you get two out of three left, you get two out of three lefties, you know, well – with 30 man roster, you know, they might pinch hit both those guys and it might go right, right, right. You know, and so that these split platoons and, you know, these split advantages are going to go away and you're going to have to be able to get out right handed hitters or if you're right, if you're a right handed pitcher, get out a left handed batter because managers are going to be able to load the batter's box against you, call it in the later innings. So, to me, I think it's gonna it's gonna enforce a lot of things of saying, okay, you better be able to get both handed or you better be able to get opposite handed hitters out, or else it's gonna be a rough go because all you're gonna see is the opposite batter. Yeah, see that's what I was thinking we talked about this on our last show too. Like they're gonna like you said, there's gonna be like thirty rosters, thirty man rosters, whatever they are. I think that what's something they might want to consider doing that goes along with what you the point you just made was that like even if there are forty five man rosters i think that there should be like a separate game day roster so that way yeah yeah, it it keeps managers from being able to do that because if you have looked at the changes that they made like one of the reasons the impetus for this three batter rule is in their minds you know in the commissioner's mind it's going to speed up the game or whatever by not having so many pitching changes but you're slowing it right back down if you're giving managers the option to just keep bringing in new hitter after new hitter to think things up so yeah i think that logically if they do do that it would make sense for them to have a game day kind of roster limit it's it's giving so much potential to the offense to match up and and taking out the pitcher in hand yeah it really gives the offense too much of an advantage there in my opinion and it's you know and it's the concept as well of saying that you know if they eliminate the d or if they have the dh on both sides you know al you can pinch hit and you can just kind of say, all right, this is our chance. All right, we're going to go in there in the eighth inning and we're going to load up the box at the bottom of the order with, you know, right-handed. Say if I'm say if I'm pitching and it's the eighth inning, they're going to go, all right, we're going to load up with right-handed hitters and just hope that one, you know, just hope that we get somewhere. And so I think even the 26 man adds an additional one or two pinch hitters to a game as well. So, you know, you're still going to see this. You're going to still see the middle of the order guys still hit left on left, but, I think that there's going to be even less of it um, than what was originally thought. Something else that we had talked about in the past is you being a guy who went in the later rounds of the draft and kind of both going through the frustration of experience, but also still being able to negotiate a deal and kind of get started with your career. What I mean, obviously it's a one-year thing, hopefully, but what was kind of your reaction to see the draft get shortened and, you know, what it might mean for guys like you who are going to college right now. I mean, I think it sucks. I mean, it's just something that, you know, everybody wanted the feeling of being drafted. There is, you know, the, it's going to be an, it's going to be an interesting dilemma too, because you're going to see guys just saying, okay, you know, teams that have proven to have good player development, 
are they are kids that if everybody's offering twenty thousand dollars to say kids and you know one team is better at player development or in their eyes has a better player development than another team you know are they just going to be able to load their system and say all right we're going to sign all these guys and then everybody else is going to get kind of the 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 leftovers so there's going to be a massive recruiting thing that i think is going <clears> to <throat> people are going to recruit free agents um, to go sign for that. But, you know, for me, it sucks because it's something that I know that if it was in my position, I would have gone back to school. I would have gone back to school for my senior year. Um, you know, I potentially probably, I mean, if we can play it all out, I had Tommy John and would have had surgery my senior year of college, you know, and then I would have been a redshirt senior and who knows if I would ever, I would be playing again. So, I mean, I think it stinks for a lot of guys and, you know, it, but at the same time that there's still opportunity out there and that's all that it takes. Um, so to me, it's an opportunity for guys to get out there. And, you know, if that means that you're one year of pro ball to me, it means that you're one year closer to making your debut. And um, it's just, it's, it's definitely not an ideal situation, um, but there still is opportunity out there. And, you know, if you can go out there and take advantage of that opportunity, um, you know, that $20,000 payday that you got for a signing bonus hopefully is, you know, the smallest one you get. And hopefully there's a whole lot bigger one uh, coming your way in five or six years. You know, a few weeks ago, I mean, let's we've, we've spent time talking about not serious topics like, you know, the coronavirus, baseball itself, the rules, and now the draft. Let's talk about something serious. A few weeks ago, <laughs> we celebrated the uh, 20th anniversary of a huge brawl between the White Sox and Tigers. Now, you're a member of the bullpen, and as a member of the bullpen, I've always wanted to know, do you guys have a set strategy on how you want to handle a bench-clearing brawl when it comes? Like, Is there a plan in place now where you would all just have a sleeveless Jimmy Cordero lead the charge and you guys would come behind him? Are you in there telling guys, all right, if this goes down, I got the third base coach? What's going on out there? I, you always the one of the things that James Shields taught us as young bucks was that always have an exit strategy. <laughs> so, so everybody's got their anytime everybody's got their exit strategy over the bullpen. Some guys would prefer to be let out like caged animals and jump over the fence. Some guys want to go through the gate, and you know some guys uh, are going to jump out and jump from the top deck and you know make their entrance, but. Um, I mean, it's just something that, you know, when you see something happening, a lot of times from the bullpen, you don't even, you, it's so far away that you can't see exactly what's going on. You can't see who's John and who. Um, but as soon as you see your guys out there, everybody's got their exit strategy to get out there as soon as possible. So that's the thing. If I'm charging the mound and out of the corner of my eye, I see Jimmy Cordero leaping over the bullpen fence on the field. It might give me like a second, like I'm like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll just, you know what? We all make mistakes. Let's, let's just move on with the rest of the game. Yeah. So what you guys didn't know is that those sleeves are actually removable. And so Jimmy would just immediately <laughs> rip off the sleeves I and would, then go in there sleeveless. I would just think my goal would be to not outrun Jimmy to the brawl. <laughs> <laughs> just keep two steps behind well, him. Oh, he, he looks, but Jimmy's awesome. Jimmy's one of the best dudes out there. So he's... Yeah, he's Jimmy's a guy that I want on my side. That's for sure. <laughs> I just, I just want to see Jimmy once in the bullpen doing curls. 
just get that on camera just once. Let him do it. Talk him into it, please. <laughs> you know, he might get, maybe if we play Cincinnati, they'll have like, because <laughs> what we did last year when they did the milk, the milking contest in, uh, in, uh, in Texas, right? Texas. Yeah. So yeah. maybe they'll do, a, they'll do a curls contest between him and Lorenzo. <laughs> See, that's those are the kind of things we need to add to the game. Forget the three batter minimums and all that <laughs> stuff about speeding it up. Yeah, let's yeah, just yeah. get Screw the lifting contest. Let's, let's just do yeah. a different. Let's do a different skill competition. Every <laughs> well, Look I, at this. We're, I was asking Jimmy about the sleeves last season, and he was trying to explain how it gets uncomfortable for him, and like how it like he feels like it restricts his throwing a little bit. And as he's displaying like why it like. Get, why the sleeve messes with him? I realize he's just flexing over and over again. And I was like, is, is this? Do you just kind of get caught up in this habit of you just flex your arms, kind of like without thinking about it? Hey, if, that, hey, if that's what it takes for him to, that's what it takes to throw hundred mile an hour bowling balls. I'm in. I'll start doing that too. Yeah. What, what was it like to go to no longer throwing the hardest sinker on the team after like maybe three months <laughs> of holding the crown? <laughs> Oh, I mean, I was pretty happy. This was pretty fun watching Jimmy pitch. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's kind of it's it's amazing the the amount of times that he you know for what he showed the last two months of the year, or maybe last three months of the year, you know for what he showed and how many times he was put on waivers blows my mind. You know, it's it's pure power with plus plus stuff, and he just went out there intact, and it was. It was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, speaking of sinkers, uh, you've told a story about picking up your sinker from watching uh, Zach Britton on YouTube. Um, was it, and it's linking again to our favorite topic of Twitter, was it interesting to kind of see that full circle of seeing the kids uh, on flat ground who were uh, tweeting at you about yeah. using your mechanics that people are kind of picking up stuff from you now? Yeah, especially because I think my mechanics are dog crap. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, and I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to follow in those footsteps of a couple of elbow surgeries and you know all that stuff. But it really is. It's kind of it's 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 really weird and it's really cool. But it's um, it's really humbling to kind of see where you've came from and know that you know at one point in time you were watching somebody else. You're watching all these people, you know, dreaming that you could be them. You're watching. I mean watching Zach Britton or watching Randy Johnson, any of those guys that saying, wow, like <clears throat> I don't get how they do it. And, you know, and, you know, kind of idolizing them to then having kids tweet at you and um, having young baseball players asking for um, advice is, you know, it's, it's humbling. And, you know, hopefully that um, I can help them as much as I can, because I know how cool, like, I know how cool it would have been for me to be able to reach out to those guys at that time. And, you know, the beautiful thing about Twitter and social media now is that you can. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. So, um, that kid's got, the kid's got pretty good stuff and, you know, he's been, I've talked to him a couple of times over the past maybe year and, you know, each time that I've seen the video of him, it, looks a whole lot more similar to me. And I'm like, okay, this kid's clean. I need to start watching this kid's mechanics because they're cleaner than mine. All right. My last question for you, I don't know if James has any left, but I, my, my daytime, my, my, my is the most important. Full- so it should be the closest. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, my full-time job is I, I cover college football for a living and you played baseball at Nebraska. And 
I want to ask you a question that I'm sick of being asked myself. So hopefully I'd, I'd like to get, I'd like to be the one asking the question this time. Is Scott Frost on the hot seat? No, he's not on the hot. So my opinion on my opinion on Nebraska football is that they need to Nebraska football is the only football program in probably the last 20 since what? 1990 to since what? 97 mm-hmm. that has not had a happy football season since 1997. <laughs> the fans, the fandom of Nebraska has not been happy since 1997, since the last time they won a national championship. The win, or I think it was, or was it 95? I'm not entirely sure. 95, I believe. Maybe it was the 96 Orange Bowl, but I think the season yeah. itself was 95. Or it was basically in the last, let's just put it this way. In the last 20 years, they've not been happy. Yeah. You know, the nine games that they've won hasn't been enough. And I just think that, I do not think that Scott Frost is on the hot seat. I sure hope that he can put his imprint and, uh, you know, and lead us back to – I person. so basically my opinion, my opinion is Big Ten West is the easiest way to get to a New Year's Six, New Year's Six Bowl. All you have to do is beat Wisconsin most years, and you're going to the Rose Bowl potentially. So you go to the Big Ten Championship, you beat Wisconsin – you beat two out of Iowa, Minnesota, and actually you just beat you beat two out of those three, and you're going to the Big Ten championship game. Mm-hmm. And you play one of the big boys from the East. You either play Ohio, you play Ohio State. Chances are Ohio State wins. And then you go to the Rose Bowl, and you know what? That's a successful season. <laughs> At least. So, I, I love that you're you're smart enough to say an Ohio State probably wins because there's a lot of Big Ten fans out there who still think that their team is capable of beating Ohio State, and it's I have to remind no, pro, I mean you might, but probably not. No, I mean the, the amount of times I will say the most fun that I've ever had at a college football game was in 2012 or 13. I think we played uh, Ohio State came to Lincoln on a Saturday night. And it was like one of the biggest comebacks in Nebraska history. Of saying they were down like twenty at half, and they ended up winning the game. Yep, uh, I remember that. But, game. Yep. but since then, the amount of times that I've seen Nebraska just get absolutely whooped on in the Big Ten championship game by either Ohio State or Wisconsin is a fair share to say. Okay, you know, we'll give them we'll give them the national we'll give them the college football playoff, but we'll take the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I remember the. Last time they played Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship, I think it was 2013 when Wisconsin killed them. And I was I was there in the press box and they just kept running Melvin Gordon on that fly sweep for pretty much 35 times. And Nebraska never quite figured out that it was coming. I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure that he had like 437 all-purpose yards or something, yeah. something along those lines. They were running the same play over and over again. And Nebraska defense just was completely helpless against it. No, but I, I will. I hope that he – I hope – I think that this – you know – Naturally, last year I said, I was like, you know what? I think that they can do it this year. And so I was wrong last year. And, you know, I'm going to say the same thing this year and saying, you know what? I, I think that they can do it this year because Nebraska is a whole lot more. The falls in Nebraska are a whole lot more fun when Nebraska football is good. So that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that it's a turnaround and that it's a 10 it's a ten win season and it's an invite to the Big Ten championship. And then everything after that is that I don't care. All right, so we're just going to post Aaron Bummer guarantees Rose Bowl for Nebraska <laughs> in 2020. <laughs> hey, who knows? The Rose Bowl probably won't even be allowed to be played by then. True. That's a, that's a very good point. <laughs> well, uh, James, do you have any questions left? Uh, no, but I can relate that uh, 
after my freshman year at Notre Dame, they handed out towels to the season opener uh, that said nine and three isn't good enough. And uh, <laughs> that was definitely the peak of the Charlie Weiss era that year. <laughs> I'm not sure if they lost that opener, but like they lost to like Michigan by like 20, like three touchdowns, like the next week. And nine and three would have been great. <laughs> yeah, no, nine wins is never good enough. Play like a nine and three team today. That's the new sign at Notre Dame. Well, Aaron, seriously, thank you very much for joining us. We hope that you know you're you're out of Omaha soon, and you're back in a camp and getting ready for the season soon enough. Because I know, obviously, you miss baseball. We miss it too. And uh, just stay safe, stay in shape, and hopefully, we see you on a mound soon. Absolutely, guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you again to Aaron for joining us. Uh, you could follow him on Twitter, and he'll never ever tweet at Aaron Bummer, just like his name. Or, you know, you could you could follow him at White Sox Baseball when hopefully they return to the mound soon. And yeah, it was it was a good interview, James. What was your biggest takeaway from spending time with Aaron? Did you miss spending him spending time and talking to Aaron? I, I definitely did not, well mostly that I'm should drink in the clubhouse was my biggest takeaway. That was yeah. In addition to like I should have just tried to uh, confront him about his contract extension at the time, even that probably would have damaged our relationship to put him in a weird position. But uh, yeah, m- mostly regrets about my interactions with him in the past. <laughs> I do think it's, I mean, I think if you look at a major league clubhouse by and large, the type of people who fill a clubhouse and play the sport for a living, I do think that you walking through like a frat bro would be more, you know, beneficial for your relationships going forward. I was spending too much time trying to fit in with the other writers and not enough time trying to fit in with the players. I should just get a really gaudy like like gold uh, plated belt to wear to so I can fit in alongside like most of the most of the relievers and uh, utility infielders. Less Merkin, more guy named Bryce. That's more, what we need, need to dress to more see. like Larry Garcia every day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but yeah. So thanks again to Aaron for joining us, becoming the the second White Sox pitcher to join the show. So now we've had two players on, and they are you know our two favorite players. They're the best players on the team. Everybody else sucks until they come on the podcast. That's just the way it works. Speaking of White Sox players, now we are going to play America's favorite show. Tempty questions. James, we have played this two or three times. I can't remember. I certainly can't. Either way, you have never lost. Your perfect record is on the line. And to remind our listeners, if this is your first time listening to 20 or 20, my God, 20 questions, not 20 questions. It's nowhere near like 20 questions. That would be too long. Yeah. I I have a mystery White Sox player, past or present, in mind. And James has. 10 questions to ask me to see if he could figure out who the mystery player is. Now I have, you know, the questions can't be too specific. So I have the right to overrule them and make him ask it in a different way, or at least a more general way. So James, you clearly remember how to play listeners. Feel free. You, to play you also have the home. right to grease the tracks of me to actually get it right. So that it doesn't stretch on endlessly. <laughs> I do. I do. But James, now you're giving away, you're giving away secrets, James. This is come on now. Anyways, we're going to play. I have the player in mind. What's your first question? Uh, what's his name? <laughs> Going to overrule that question a little too specific. And wow, pretty sexist to assume it's a guy. Yeah, uh, admittedly, I was, I was trying to narrow the uh, the field a little bit. Um, is this a current player? No. Like current, like still playing in his career. Not even, not necessarily White Sox. 
the player is not currently active anywhere. Is his number retired in any form? Uh, not not by the White Sox. Maybe somewhere else. I couldn't tell you honestly. Um, is he a a position player? He is. Did he wear glasses? Yes, I believe for a while he did. Not his whole career, but I'm pretty sure he wore them for a little bit. Yeah. Hmm. Is, is he a first baseman? Uh, he he was at times. Yeah, that's five questions. You got five left. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm narrowed in on a guy, but I'm not entirely convinced. Well, maybe maybe you should pursue that. Uh, has he has he appeared in more than five All Star games? More than five. He has appeared in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven All Star games. Uh, what is your favorite thing about Dick Allen? Boom! There you go. You got it. <laughs> Look at James, you're perfect. You're three and zero. Did you just do that because of Megan's article? I did. See, this is cross promotion. Whoa, wow, whoa, levels. There's levels to this shit, bro. Yes, Megan Matamoro, uh, an Illini grad, recently wrote. She covers the Phillies. ILL the Athletic. <laughs> she covers the Phillies for the Athletic. Is that how you guys say it? I L L. Well, I didn't want to take that long. I N I. Uh, she wrote the Hall of Fame case for Dick Allen. You should go to the Athletic and you should read it because she makes she makes a compelling case for Dick Allen to be a member of the Hall of Fame. James, how do you feel about Dick Allen's Hall of Fame credentials? Um, someone I think I I was like uh, sharing her article yesterday, and someone replied like, "Doesn't he deserve in if Harold Baines does?" And to which I would say, "Yep." <laughs> See, I'm super happy that Harold Baines made it, but that's that's the danger of the precedent of putting Harold Baines in because suddenly a lot more guys are Hall of Famers based on that standard. But to be fair, I've always argued that baseball's Hall of Fame has been way too uh, strict as far as entrance to begin with. I feel like you know you should celebrate your game, and the more players you put in, the more you celebrate. But his his 11 year peak is really really like Hall of Fame worthy. It's just that there's yeah. not. Like, he didn't really age gracefully in that terms, I guess. Like, after 32, he basically yeah, um, his, isn't he, a regular. His final three seasons, he only played 258 games, and he hit 246 with a 334 on base, slugged 410. So he had an OPS plus of 105. So he was still above average as far as OPS, OPS was concerned with the rest of the league. But when you compare it to the beginning of his career, it didn't quite come in line. But he played... Three seasons with the White Sox, 348 games. He hit 307, had an on-base 398, slugged 589, won the MVP in 1972 as a member of the Chicago White Sox. And I think that if Dick Allen were to one day join the Hall of Fame, you would not hear too many complaints out of me. Maybe Phillies fans would still boo him for some reason. Yeah, well, they just, that's just a natural reaction. But it's because like if you look at his similarity scores on baseball reference – the number one most similar batter is Ryan Braun. And I don't know if you consider Ryan Braun a Hall of Famer. I think that the steroid thing will Probably keep him not. out. <clears throat> yeah. But the number two is Lance Berkman, then Reggie Smith, Ellis Burks, Brian Giles, Nelson Cruz, Jermaine Dye, George Foster, Fred Lynn, and Tim Salmon, who are all very, very good players. I feel like Ryan Braun being kind of just like a dude for 
like on one hand longevity helps him but he's also just been like he's just been a guy like the last three years and i feel like Mm -hmm. the longer you have the stretch where you're just not exceptional it it almost i don't know if it helps as much as it hurts i will say too on b-ref you know on on the jaws thing which is you know jay jaffe it's they they have him as third base and his career you know as a third baseman does not really compare too great with the average hall of fame third baseman but i kind of I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I he played a lot of third base, but he played more games at first base. So I'm not sure if that would actually help or hurt his case in that way if they compared him to fellow first baseman or third baseman. But I don't know, man. The dude won an MVP. He was kind of an icon culturally at the time. Especially, I know. I mean, hell, there's White Sox fans now who never saw him play who still you know revere him. So I, I would be happy with him getting in. Yeah, I mean, why not? I I generally, as I tried to basically wrap my mind around the Harold Baines. Um, <laughs> entry is just that what's why not just celebrate um why i'm not really i don't really get the uh the emotional push of the small hall uh idea i i feel yeah, like I, it, the more people involved in a, a greater appreciation of baseball history can only help i think that it's a reaction when you give people power they like to you know they like to wield it they don't want to be too friendly and i think that Quite frankly, some of the people in charge of the voting and all that kind of stuff are a little too, you know, drunk on their power. Just, you know, hopefully that changes as we go on. Uh, time for shout outs. My shout out is uh, we recently finished watching Justified, our rewatch. And we have started rewatching Friday Night Lights, which means that I am going to fall in love once more with Tammy Taylor. So shout out to Tammy Taylor. James, who's your shout out for? Uh, my shout out is to Besiktas. It's been a, it's been a good home for my son for, uh, I guess a year now, but, um, you've only played one season. Well, I was, what is it? This is about to be the second. Let's see. How long was he with UC Dublin? I think it's like January. He's only there for like a year. I think it's December, 2020 right now. Um, like he, he played like a year. I don't know if he played a full year at UC Dublin. They transferred to Besiktas and it's been like another year. Um, like he he finished last season's Besiktas and now he's like he's about to get to the January transfer period and uh, this is me this is me announcing that my son Tiago will indeed be making a transfer request because uh, <gasps> um, the, the last two games have kind of showed that he he's taken another level in, in his play and it, it's time for him to get like a more severe test of it, it's time Besiktas was a good home uh, definitely didn't agree with all the benchings during a. Uh, uh champions league and all that and the weird playing time and you know maybe that's exacerbating this decision a little bit but uh really the 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 back-to-back the 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 hat trick last time out that didn't even include two own goals that deflected off the goalie would have been a five goal game that kind of that kind of showed that we were time to either we need to go to england or we need to ramp up to difficulty level a little bit higher and uh since i don't want to do the last part uh i I think we're gonna we're gonna see what uh what what the Premier League can really offer, or, or, you know, depending on who actually offers a transfer for him. But he's an 82 now. Let's be real. He, he's he, Adam, Adam Lukic is no longer the, the top rated player on the team. It's Tiago. And you know, that's just not really a good long term situation. And, you know, maybe if he does transfer, he'll find a team that appreciates him a little bit more than Besiktas. Though we are thankful for our time there and, uh, <laughs> and, and want to say thank you to everyone who works there. Uh, you know, Stadium Gate employees, uh, the, the clubby who have fetched him edibles. Uh, you, no, is, thank you, but but goodbye. Is is Tiago going to take out like a full page ad in the local paper? Thank uh, you, the team. Tiago is going to post a notes app tweet. <laughs> thank you, everybody. 
Somebody, one of our business should really start a Tiago Fegan Twitter account. Just get like five followers and just keep tweeting constantly anyway. Uh, just so tweet, is it tweet at Ricky's characters as well. Yeah, yeah. Is it is it Premier League or bust, or would you accept like Italy or Germany or you know France or somewhere? I think he'd be open, or but it, it, we need we need to upgrade. Uh, you know, Erdogan cannot uh, hold him for forever. He's he's going to be eighteen soon. He needs to take this next step in life. What what's what's his dream club? Uh, I would I would say he wants to play for the pool. Um, I don't know if he's uh wow. quite ready to displace you know Salah or anything like that, but. Front running son of a bitch. You know he, he's restless, Besiktas. He's I've had a, I've added uh, his trash facial hair to him to to make him look like a, a real eighteen year old <laughs> who's frustrated. Up so fast. I'm I'm really upset that I can't add tattoos because he would definitely have some. All right. Well, good luck to Tiago. I hope that he gets everything he wants because he doesn't deserve it. But hell, you know, whatever. <laughs> he's a teenager, so he has to have it. Uh, His player value out. would indicate that he deserves quite a bit. Maybe like yeah. he's worth $30 million. Oh, wow. $30 million. Now, Is that dollars, euros, pounds? Uh, PlayStation bucks? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, is there a dollar sign in front of it? Or I, is there I believe a there's a dollar sign, sign but it, you know. Okay, that it's dollars. I think James. it's pounds, That's, actually. Oh, whoa, wow. Ooh, I mean, you got to do that kind of. Well, actually, no, since you're just playing career mode, you don't really have to do those calculations in your head then. No, career mode for players is really like not much to it. Yeah, it's like when I, when you do like your manager mode and it's, it's yeah, trying to figure out how much you're actually spending on a guy. But uh, all right, cool. Well, shout out to Tiago. I hope I hope things work out. I hope that, you know, you, you get to England and you get your ass handed to you by Aston Villa. I, on the I hope he does since he needs... You know, you need challenges to grow. If you if you knew any players, you, you'd know that. Maybe he should transfer to Aston Villa. Uh, we'll consider it. <laughs> we'll consider it as a family. <laughs> we'll sit down. Father and son. Businessman. Mom's not involved? Uh, mom has been frozen out of his accounts. <laughs> Uh-oh, what's mom been up to? Find out on the next episode of White Sox Business when we talk about the... I don't know what's the word. Whatever. We'll talk to you on <laughs> about how Tiago's mother is trying to ruin his career and use him to get famous. And we'll also talk to you about the return of the Bundesliga because, oh, my God, James, we've got sports to watch this weekend. We're all very excited to wake up and watch some soccer on Saturday. And maybe, just maybe, we'll talk to you about the White Sox. Thanks for listening. See you Monday. See you Monday.